I tend to operate at 900 miles an hour all the time, just like throwing stuff on the wall to see what sticks. And when this year started, one of my commitments was, I want this year for me to be a year where I'm more intentional about everything. Not just with work, but also my personal world. I want to be more intentional with friends because I'm kind of that friend who, if I haven't seen you for a while, I I love you, but I'm going to forget to text. Like that's a thing that sometimes I do. And so I want to be more intentional with my friends. I want to be more intentional with my family. I want to be more intentional in all the ways. And there's something about fasting that taking that break from the ordinary creates in us sort of now we get to be deliberate about what we do and not do, right? I'm used to just going in and just, just eating. There are days I never feel hungry. Has somebody else had this happen to you? And you look at your watch and you're like, oh, well, I ate breakfast at this time and lunch at this time. Must be dinner now, right? And I've I've not given my body any time to say to me, hey, you need to put more food in here, right? Because it's just sort of just what I do. I just eat these meals at these times. And there's something about fasting that's breaking that. And it's an intentional choice to sort of disrupt the rhythm of the ordinary. Uh, It also helps us with impulse control. You may not need help with this. Uh, How many of you know about the Enneagram? Okay. I'm in Enneagram 7. Impulse control is not something I came equipped with from the factory. Like, it's just not. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm the guy who, if something fun's going on, I'm immediately going to say yes, and then, but can I actually do it? Right? Like, like that's, I'm just that, I have that kind of energy. I want to do stuff. I want to have a good time. And one of the things I've learned is that sometimes, and it, usually the way I need help with impulse control mostly is from what comes out of my mouth. Um, sometimes my mouth moves quicker than my brain, and sometimes that can really hurt and wound people. Anybody else have this problem? Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's about um, breaking that ordinary and helping us control, that, realize that we're not just whatever desires and urges we have. We're made up of more than that. Like, we, we do not have to be slaved, enslaved to our whims. We can do hard things. We can say no to ourselves when we need to say no. Or we can say no to somebody else when we need to say no. We talk about this with our 10-year-old all the time because sometimes he'll just come into a room. Everything's fine. He'll come into a room and just do something. I'm like, were you thinking about that the whole time you walked into the room? Like, hey, watch what I'm going to go do here. He's like, nope, just did it. It's like, you don't have to. Like, you, you, you can say to yourself, I probably shouldn't trip my little sister. Like, yes, you can do this. You can do hard things, buddy. Um, and I, I think fasting is, is a way that can help us, to, especially if, gosh, I'm going to limit what I put into my system today, but not just limiting it, but also using that time and energy to do something else, right? So that when I feel hungry, perhaps that's a time when I think maybe I need to reach out to a friend I haven't talked to in a while because I'm not eating, so I might as well do that, right? Or, or think, gosh, the money I saved today from all the meals I would have eaten, I'm going to donate to a group of people who are doing some really good work in the world. Right. And so that brings us to the next thing. I, I think it creates awareness because it invites us to action and solidarity. Um, I don't know if you associate fasting and action, um, but I do think that there's something to it. There's this great text in Isaiah 58 where uh, the prophet is speaking for God and the prophet is speaking to the people. And apparently they've been doing this fast, fasting and they didn't get what they wanted from God. They haven't heard from God. And the prophet says, why, why would you expect God to answer you? Because on the same days that you fast, you exploit your workers, you exploit widows, you trample the needy, you trample orphans, you use unjust business practices, you're you're going to church and you're fasting and you look really spiritual, but the reality is the things you're doing 
It's making the world worse. And so there's something powerful to that, that as we fast, it's not just a, a, a abstinence from something, but it's also a time we could use to engage. We could spend that money differently. We could spend our time differently. We could do something else. I remember for Lent one year, I read an article about a group of pastors and, and folks at a church who decided that they had a partnership in a country in the developing world. And all the folks would get in that country was one meal a day of rice and beans and not a lot of it. And so they committed every day during Lent to have one meal a day and that meal was rice and beans. And they did so to raise awareness about this group of people who desperately needed assistance and they saved the money and they did something like that with it. So fasting can really put us into the realm of solidarity and action. It can cause us to remember, hey, there's other stuff going on in the world and maybe we can put our energy behind it. And so if that's a thing that interests you, I think it's, it's a good thing to try. And it may, maybe it's not a whole day right away. Maybe you just miss a meal or, or maybe you have a rhythm and a schedule. I don't know how it's going to work for you, but I know that it can be helpful in breaking up those patterns and causing us to think differently about God, ourselves, and the world. But now let's talk about feasting. I've never, ever heard anybody talk about feasting as a spiritual practice, but I have found it to be very, very, very true in my life. And I actually believe feasting is as much a transformative practice as fasting, right? It's the other side of the coin. There are some times when the only appropriate response to what's going on is to hire a DJ and have a meal. If you don't have a DJ on retainer, you're doing it wrong. Um, There's a certain something about that. How many of you have ever been at a table with people and you're eating and laughing and it's just amazing and you look down at your watch and you've been there for like three hours? Anybody ever had that happen to you? And you have this moment where you're like, this somehow is sacred. Yeah, we're telling stories about what we did in high school or college or what we did last week. Or yeah, we're talking about that dumb TV show we like. But somehow, being in that space, around that table, sharing that food, drinking that wine, whatever you're doing, it somehow has a way of forming us and transforming us into different kinds of people. I... Obviously, I love feasting. That's much more my speed than fasting. I think it's an appropriate balance. So a few things about feasting. I think feasting celebrates the gift and joy of life. One of our core values at Grace Point is this belief that life is a gift to be enjoyed. And of course, when lots of people on the planet aren't getting to enjoy it because of um, all sorts of unjust policies and practices, yes, we need to push against that. And at the same time, recognize that life is a gift. And that when we get to enjoy it together, that it's powerful and transformative and beautiful. This past week, um, there was a dear friend of mine from the church I pastored in Morgantown, Kentucky. Um, he'd, he'd been there about 12 years of my 14 years there. And we became really good friends. He was one of the first people that I could be a heretic with. You know what I mean? You, everybody needs somebody in their life who gives them permission to be a heretic. And he was kind of ahead of the curve on me um, when we first met. Uh, last Saturday, a week ago, I got a call from his wife. He'd been in the hospital. He'd, he'd had leukemia for about 18 years, but he was just in a cycle of treating it and it being under control and then having to, so he was in this uh, new this phase of having to treat it and they were having to treat it more severely with more severe medication than they had before. Uh, and she called on Saturday morning and she said, he's asking for you, can you come over? And I went over to see him and um, he, he, he had already, uh, he's already sedated, they put him on a vent. Um, and I was beside his bed on Tuesday when he took his last breath. And it was such a sad, sad, but also sacred moment. And so yesterday, I got the honor of speaking at his funeral. 
And after we went to the graveside and came back, um, can you guess what was waiting on the family when they got back to the church? A potluck. And they had tables rolled out, and there was all sorts of food, and everybody came back in, and all the family and the folks from the church and friends, everybody sat down, and they got a plate, and they started telling stories, and they engaged one another in a way that they probably hadn't in a long time, because this is one of those things that forces you to stop and actually pay attention. And I remember standing back and looking at it going, this is a sad moment, but this is, this is a feast. This is a feast celebrating the life of a really good human being who left too soon. And he would just be so happy to know that people ate while they remembered him. So I think feasting is important because way before those moments, if we're feasting together, we're, we're going to make those sorts of memories, right? We're going to be aware of the sacredness that exists all the time right here among us. Sacredness surrounds us like air, right? Like a fish is in water. Everything around us is sacred. I also think feasting creates the opportunity to share the goodness of life with one another. It's the brilliance of a potluck, right? Uh, and I, I grew up in churches that would do potlucks, and I mean, 18 different kinds of fried chicken would show up, right? Because that's what everybody liked to make. Um, some weird green bean casseroles we never touched. But most of the, for the most part, the food was really good. What's the central idea of a, pot, a potluck? Everybody brings something, whatever you can, whatever that looks like. Everybody brings something, and they contribute to the meal, and then we all eat and enjoy life together. This is actually the first Christian's practice was getting around a table together. And we'll talk about this in a minute. They broke all sorts of rules in doing so. But they would get around tables, and everybody would bring what they had. And this is, I think I mentioned this last week, this is why Paul is so mad in 1 Corinthians 11. Anybody ever had that text used against you where he says, you should examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper or you might die? Anybody read that passage? Yeah, that's not what he means. That's not what he means. What he means is that there were a group of people of means who would come to the meeting space early, eat all the good food, and get drunk on the wine. And then folks of lesser means would come later, and there would be nothing for them to have because they couldn't bring very much. And Paul says, when you do this, you are actually defaming the body of Christ. You're, you're actually embarrassing and humiliating your brothers and sisters when the goal of this meal was that everybody brings what they can. And if everybody brings what they can, everybody gets enough. Right? When I do my part and you do your part, everybody's taken care of. And I think that a feast is a time to remember that. It's a time to nurture that interdependence we talked about last week. Not just independence, this is what we love. No, interdependence because we are connected with each other. Um, there's a Kroger by our house, and they just did this awesome upgrade and built on it. You would not believe the number of cheeses that are available at this Kroger. It's stunning. <laughs> That's the only way I can put it. But I'm in there the other day, and I'm walking around all the produce just lost with rapture. This, this is the sort of thing, this and a brand new notebook and ink pen. That's everything for me. Um, and so I'm walking around the store, and it just, it just hit me. Like, there are all this vegetables and fruit piled up. And I was like, somebody did something to make that. Yeah, I know nature and seeds and dirt, but, like, somebody had to tend the soil. Somebody had to produce that. Somebody had to bring it here so I could go buy that apple or buy that orange or whatever. And I, I, we are more reliant on each other than we can imagine. And, and we walk around with this false notion of independence when what we really need is a kind, compassionate, and just interdependence. Or we recognize, I am, my life going well depends on a lot more than me. It depends on everybody else in the world, too. And so I, I think that feasting reminds us of that. We, we are here to share the goodness of life together, and that creates in us 
that sense of interdependence. Uh, finally, I think feasting is, when it's done well, is an act of resistance. It's an act of resistance. Here's what I mean. The first Christians, when they started practicing their, their love feast, it was called an agape feast. When they would do this, they would meet together, um, and they would sit around a table, and everybody would bring something. They would make sure everybody had their needs met, and they would celebrate by eating together. Now, what made it radical was that in the Roman world, there were very strict rules about who could be at the table. You, you could only eat at the table if you were a man, and you could only eat with men of like status in the world. So you couldn't go to somebody's house who had a higher status than you and sit at their table because that would be a major, major problem. Women would eat somewhere else. Um, slaves would eat somewhere else if they got to eat. It was very structured in this way. The early Christian community threw all those rules out the window. When Paul in Galatians wrote, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free in Galatians, some authors say he was proclaiming it was the first statement of egalitarianism in human history. Um, where women and men are at the same table, rich and poor at the same table, slave and free at the same table. Everybody came, everybody ate the same food, everybody, and in doing so, they were resisting an empire that wanted to carve us up into categories based on what we had and who we knew. Aren't you glad the world's really different? 2020, come such a long way. It was an act of resistance. We're saying, you out there, you may be able to carve us up in, in ways, and you may be able to make the world hard for us. But when we're in this space, at this table, with this bread and this wine, everybody's welcome. And we, we don't card at the door. And I think that in so many ways, that in the culture we find ourselves in today, being able to see that as an act of resistance, that every time we gather together, at Grace Point, it is an act of resistance to everything that's trying to blow us all apart. Right? Just by showing up today, you are standing strong. And what if when we get together and celebrate over food, what if we saw that as the world can be a really dark place sometimes. But when we get together and have joy, even in the midst of that darkness, it says to the darkness, you won't win. Because love is stronger than hate. And a little bit of light can cast out a whole lot of darkness. And one of the things we do every week here at Grace Point is we celebrate Eucharist, known as Communion, Lord's Supper. We do that every single week. Um, we don't do it the way the first Christians did. They didn't just get a little bit and a drink, right? Um, they are dip. I'm sorry. Please don't drink. Flu season is it's not good. It's not good. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. Um, but it wasn't just like a little cracker and a, and a little bit of juice or wine. It was a meal. And they would get, so we're not doing it just like that. But we're doing it in the spirit of that. That as we come together and we receive these elements today, we are saying, first of all, that we are welcome and beloved and we belong, no matter who says we don't. That at this table, there's always going to be space. And we do it and we, say, and we also say that the way the world works, which is disproportionately uh, bad for people who don't do as well, that we need to recognize that in this space, we are all on a level playing field. And that we are all God's children and that we are all recipients of that love, grace, and goodness of God. So when you take this bread and you take this cup today, my hope is that you'll remember what a revolutionary you are. How that in this ritual we are saying to everything that would tear us apart, there is something bigger that binds us together. Amen. We're not just receiving the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ.
And so the way we do that here um, is uh, we'll ask you in just a moment when we, and the band can come on back up and our servers can get in place, please. Um, we'll ask that you come out from the side of your row and then receive the elements and come back to the middle. They'll be stationed in the middle there and up front. So if you're in the back section, you can come to the middle there. Everybody is welcome at this table. Nobody is expected or demanded. So if today you're just like, I, I can't do that today, then please don't feel compelled to. Please just know that you are absolutely welcome. Um, I met a guy who was here for the first time at an early service, and he told me that today he received communion for the first time in five years. That he'd given up on church, didn't think he'd ever go back, gave it one more shot, came to Grace Point. He said, I've never been to a place like this. And I said, a lot of people haven't. <laughs> and uh, he said, I think I'll come back. So there's something powerful uh, about being welcome. So you're welcome here. Um, what we do usually each week is, um, well, first, the elements. We'll have uh, bread, gluten-free crackers, grape juice, then wine. We'll do it in that order. And then uh, we do a liturgy every week where we welcome one another to the table. So would you um, join me in reading this? Come to this table, you who have much faith and you who struggle with believing. You who have been here often, and you who have come for the first time. You who are at peace, and you who feel despair. We are all part of the human family, and there is a place for us here. Christ invites everyone to the table. May this bread and wine unite us all. And everybody said, Amen. come when you're ready. <laughs>